back to another episode of Talk is a Free Action. I'm your host, Owen, joined again today with our illustrious co-host, Marvin. Welcome back to the show. Heyo. How's it going, bud? It's going. It's going. Canada's on fire. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and you know what? That fire is going south. There's a very good chance we're going to die from whatever fire that is very soon. Much like many things in the U.S. going south. Um, so... Um, it's episode 50. Yeah, that's exciting. And wild to think that we've been doing... I mean, I guess technically it's episode 67 asterisks, but 50 since the official relaunch, and that's pretty cool. We are getting... This is, this is branded episode 50, and we're sticking with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, two more episodes, right? We'll have uh, one episode for every week of the year. And, and we're getting very close to a. Well, I also, funnily enough, in two more episodes, we'll also be at unofficially episode sixty-nine. Nice, <laughs> nice. Wait, if we're coming up to episode fifty-two, does that mean we have to relaunch? Um, as new fifty-two. I mean, what are we DC Comics? Are we not? I mean, only if we want to name ourselves the Talking is a Free Action <laughs> Podcast podcast. Oh, that is a is a great reference. Ten out of ten, bud. <laughs> thanks, thanks. It's about the only thing I get rated out of uh, out of ten. So, <laughs> uh, so, so what's good with you, man? Other than the uh, than the oncoming doom from the frozen north. Um. Well, I have been uh, playing in a Star Wars tabletop game. That's going well. My character just became a Jedi Knight officially. Congratulations. Momentous occasion for your character, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there is talk of me getting a Padawan, which is terrifying for the dark times, but we'll see. <laughs> can, can we just skip that part? <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a little irresponsible. <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> um, so that's going well. Um... Other than that, I've seen Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse four times. Uh, at the time of this recording, the movie has been out for six days. Wow. That's um, that's an impressive watch schedule. That's what? <laughs> four times in the last week? Yeah. Yeah. Were any of those um, times by yourself? The first time. Okay. Well, I mean, at least you had a reason to go for like two through four. uh my reason was that i made the excuse that i needed to see the movie more times hey let me join you when you go see it honestly it it, i'm very excited to go watch it and were i not literally about to get into a plane in i don't know 12 hours or whatever i definitely would be making plans to go watch it uh yeah that's super fair i'm actually going a fifth time with julian awesome (laughs) well uh we're gonna keep the podcast spoiler free um i did see the original uh, spider-verse though so assuming that that was a you know i'll call it like a 10 out of 10 movie right the the first uh into the spider-verse uh how does the uh, second one stack up uh it is a 12 out of 10 12 okay so it's actually better i I'm usually very hesitant to uh, give in to recency bias. Um, 
I normally like to let a movie sit for a while before I decide where I'm going to rank it and how much praise I'm going to give it. Mm -hmm. um, this movie, I cannot do that. I shed a tear for the first time in a movie ever. Um, I cheered audibly for the first time in a movie ever. Um, I left every showing with a big shit-eating grin. There is no comparison. This is absolutely better than the first one. It's impressive, because I really did think the first one was, like, I mean, obviously visually quite stunning. Um, the plot was pretty basic the first time around, so I'm guessing that this is really kind of leaning on the fact that it doesn't have to introduce most of the characters again. Uh, it introduces, like, five new characters straight up. <laughs> right, but, like, it doesn't have to, like, waste time reintroducing, like, Gwen or Miles or, or Peter B., they actually spend a lot of time reintroducing Gwen, specifically. Oh, okay. um, Miles, not so much, because, like, I'm going to spoil some of the opening narration. It's told from Gwen's point of view, okay. and she is the focus of the first maybe 15, 20 minutes of the movie. Um, but she includes, like, a very brief uh, recap of the first movie, and kind of reintroduces miles uh peter b doesn't need any reintroduction because he's you know he's the basic spider-man that we all expect um wasn't it a yeah. joke that he was like the b-tier spider-man that we kind of wish we didn't have no he's the spider-man that is so experienced and so knowledgeable about being spider-man that he doesn't care anymore he is too good at it <laughs> like that's the joke he's so good at spider-man that he doesn't care about being spider-man right but like his whole like personal life is falling apart yeah, yeah, yeah very good very good okay i will not spoil whether or not he got that fixed together after the the ending we left him on made it hopeful i won't tell you whether or not he succeeded <laughs> got it got it well unfortunately the internet spoiled me but i'm not gonna be a uh be partner to that so uh <laughs> for our audience's sake at least i won't spoil it either that's really who i was talking to i assumed you had been spoiled already yeah yeah i did you Although... spend too much time on twitter <sighs> yeah you know i really do i really <laughs> feel like i need to like just like dial it back maybe like 40 percent uh it's very possible but you know well, like, before I used to be able to justify it because I was on the show Twitter, but I think I log in there maybe once a week now, which in some respects is good because, you know, I'm not on Twitter as much, but on the other hand, it's not good because it means my time is actively less productive. <laughs> That's true. But, you know. Yeah, it's mostly just Lord of the Rings spoilers now anyways. Um, can it not be? Uh, I mean, it's pretty tough. That's basically the only thing that Magic Twitter is talking about at the moment. Uh, so far, I think the current bounty for the One Ring is up to one million dollars. So, Jeez. which, like, honestly, like, if somebody opens it, uh, they they really ought to like auction it <laughs> because there's no way you should accept a just like stone like one million dollar offer. Like, if people are pre-offering one mil, then like clearly you can auction it for significantly more. Oh, that sounds 
That sounds fair. I think I would, uh, I would definitely hold it for like six months and see where I can get it to after that time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So question then, if you were to, well, I guess, first of all, presuming you were the kind of person who had the money to spend $34 on a collector booster, um, would yes. you immediately announce on Twitter that it had been opened, or would you allow the uh, the hype to cook a bit more? I would absolutely let the internet sit on where is the one ring. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> so, so fun fact, um, uh, Serkovitz on Twitter, he's like the resident data analyst who works with like the 17 lands data, most notably. Um, mm-hmm. Although he is a legitimate data scientist, he works with like microbial uh you know colonies or whatever but uh apparently uh, the odds of opening the one ring are something like one in three million approximately sounds about right so what's funny is that um have you seen the card uh nazgul yes okay so um you're aware then that you are permitted to to, uh to play nine copies of nazgul in a deck yes uh uh-huh it's very on brand so ironically it is (laughs) it is like a one in like nine million eight hundred thousand chance to open nine Nazguls in a draft su- in a uh, in a booster draft. Like one in table. how many? One million and something. One in nine million eight hundred thousand. It is nearly three. It is over three times more unlikely to have nine Nazguls opened at the same table in a draft pod than it is to open the one ring. Huh. Because of its rarity. <laughs> so what you're saying is, if I open nine Nazguls, that's worth a million dollars. That is... In a draft pod. I guess it depends on the draft pod. <laughs> but you had, a, you had a $1 million experience, I guess. I'm going to draft this set one time just to see if I can get nine Nazguls in a draft. I don't know if that's better or worse than buying a single collector booster on the gamble. <laughs> Uh, well, this will at least be, you know, an experience. Ah, that's true. Opening a single collector booster does not qualify as experience. No, having opened several collector boosters, I was disappointed every time I did. Yeah, it's like, it's not even like you feel nothing doing it, you just feel bad. (laughs) Yeah, it's... I hate collector boosters with every fiber of my being. (laughs) Yeah, they're very frustrating. But we're not here to talk shit about Magic the Gathering today. Oh, as easy as it would be. (laughs) Yeah, we had a whole episode about that before. We're not trying to rehash that old episode. Yeah, again, as easy as it might be. I mean, we were doing it by accident for the last five minutes or whatever. Um, Yeah, sometimes they just make it too easy. I don't know, man. It'd really be like that, though. Watsy. Yeah, um, I, I will make a mention. Uh, speaking of wizards, is I know like as a podcast we really haven't done very much as far as like reviewing any of the playtest material yet. Um, I think partly that's just because neither of us really spend too much time looking at the arcana. I guess that makes us bad content creators for D anD. d But when I I don't know, like when I look at the at the unearthed arcana stuff, like a lot of times it's just actively really bad. I don't know. Is that just me? Um, we're gonna. We're going to unpack that in a second. Um, I don't consider us a D&D podcast. I consider us a TTRPG podcast with most of our experience being in D&D. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is the largest brand in the space, right? I, because I think we give 
general advice, not specifically D and D advice for the most part. Yeah, that is fair. Um, I don't know it still feels like a little bit of a hole in our schedule, though, and that like we probably could spend some time covering it, but truthfully, it just doesn't seem. I want to say not interesting, but it's like until we get a final product, I. I don't really know the benefit of us reviewing it. I guess because um, like frequently it's just very unbalanced, anyways. Yeah. So like going back to your actual question. Um, I, I never actually care about Anarchicana, like, ever in my life. Um, once I realized what it was way back in the day, I was like, okay, that's cool, but, like, I don't want to be their, their balance tester. I just, I just want to know when I have something usable. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, uh- Man, I don't know. It's like in one in one respect, like I appreciate the like attempt the faux attempt at transparency, mm-hmm. right? Um, but on the other hand, it's like I don't know, pay some playtesters to test this shit. <laughs> like, I mean, to be fair to Wizards of the Coast, and you know that I don't like being fair to Wizards of the Coast. You also don't have to be, but I'm going to be. Even when they pay playtesters, they still destroy game balance 99% of the time anyways. Yeah. Something, I mean, something, Kaladesh standard. Something, something, Felidar Guardian. <laughs> something, something, Rakdos. Literally the first set after they hired professional playtesters, they put like 17 infinite combos in standard. So like... By mistake. <laughs> well, mostly it just energy broke things. 17 infinite combos in standard by mistake in the first set with professional playtesting. I mean, why pay professional playtesters when you're going to mess it up anyway? I mean, by that logic, just release everything unfinished. Uh, at this point, I think they should. It would let the game die faster so I can stop having to talk about it. I mean, what? <laughs> Moving on brighter news, um, I, I did want to report that the artist that uh, that Dustin had hired to draw our uh, the game where I'm a, I'm a player character, um, mm-hmm. that, that group party photo is actually completed now. Nice! How's it look? Um, if you give me a minute, I will post a picture of it for you, and then you can describe it to the audience. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm just going to say whether or not it's good. I suppose you could do that too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, this art is pretty decent. Yeah, it looks good. It also makes me appreciate that, like, of the party members, literally only the bard looks like somebody you should ever talk to. Everybody else looks like a problem. <laughs> like, you got a white walker. This guy looks like Dracula's idiot son. A literal demon. And then just a just a guy. Just a guy with a lube. <laughs> Who looks like he's having a good old time. Mm-hmm. Just strumming away on his lube. So. I do like everybody's gear. Mm-hmm. Um, and how all of them look like they have stuff that is unique to them. Yeah, none of it looks like 
super generic, you know? Like, everybody's mm-hmm. personality really does kind of shine through in the design, which I appreciate. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. I approve. Hats off to the artist, um, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I think his name is Zuim. It's like X-U-I-M. Um, but yeah, he, he was great to work with. Um, I think he has, like, stuff in his socials or whatever. I don't know. If I remember, I'll, I'll put a link in our show notes or something uh, to his Twitter. Um, but he did outstanding work and was super, super uh, impressed by it. This is good stuff. I like this. Yeah, more like this. <laughs> so This is way better than what we tried to get for Intrepid one time. God, I don't even want to talk about it. It's so difficult to find trustworthy artists. Like, especially on, like, social media, right? Where you just have nothing to go on a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, like, try and hunt down some of their previous commission work. But a lot of that can be pretty invisible, you know? Like, you don't mm-hmm. know the people that they haven't completed the work for. So, for all you know, they're sitting on, like, you know, a dozen a dozen or more, you know, uncompleted commissions that they really should be working on. Um, but, yep. you know, instead they're accepting more work because they probably need money. Um yeah, that sucked. And, uh, yeah, I've, I've definitely, like, lost money <laughs> doing that sort of thing. So I was really happy to, to see how this turned out. And, you know, if I do have the extra money at some point, I'd be happy to commission this fella to, to do some more work for us. But uh, I am libroke at the moment, so <laughs> so I'm not doing that just big yet. Big mood. That is big mood. Yeah, for sure. But, hey, you know. Them's the breaks. That's how it goes sometimes. Something, something, being an adult, something, something. Yeah. I, I will say that, like, there's pros and cons to, to growing up in that respect, right? It's mm-hmm. like, there's some definitely some days where I miss having, like, infinite free time and, like, minimal concerns about anything. <clears throat> um, but then there are days where I remember they don't have any homework. <laughs> so... <laughs> And that if I want to go, uh, you know, just go buy something or whatever, that, like, generally, I can go do that thing. So. I like how you're, like, homework, and I'm just here, like, I didn't do it when we had it anyways. No, I didn't do it either, but, like, I had anxiety about not doing it. Oh. Yeah, no, not me. I didn't give a fuck. I, I always feel like it was... Like, in the moment of deciding not to do it, I was like, yeah, my malformed brain is totally fine with the consequences of this. But, like, in class, the day of, I always felt bad about it. (laughs) I didn't. I had untreated ADHD, and homework did not give me that good dopamine. So my brain did not care, even when it was like, why didn't you do your homework? I don't know. Yep, but that's why we play video games. Yeah. Follow the dopamine. Yeah, pretty simple strategy, I would say. And now look at me. Yeah, you're a whole ass podcast host. Yeah, I don't know if that's a success. Eh, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of questionable successes, um, I don't know if we talked about last time, but uh, I also had heard that you'd been spending some, some time playing Tears of the Kingdom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually have missed several streams because I was sick as the dog. Um, But I played a whole lot off stream on a separate file so that I'm not 
depriving the stream of a whole lot of content. <laughs> um, but I have been playing a lot of Tears of the Kingdom. What do you think? Uh, I am having a great time. I think it is a very well-made game, and I'm very excited to have it. This is another one of those where, like, if the original was a 10 of 10, this is a 12. I I think I have to retroactively give the original, like, a 9 out of 10. Because I don't think this game is, like, groundbreaking. Like, I think Across the Spider-Verse is. Like, it's not, like... It's not changing my opinions on things like Spider-Verse did. I mean, almost definitionally, um, it can't be groundbreaking. It's virtually the same game. Exactly. Um, Across the Spider-Verse is kind of groundbreaking. It's insane. Um, but this is... At this point, I consider Breath of the Wild like proof of concept that Tears of the T- Kingdom could be made. So I retroactively give Breath of the Wild a 9, even though it has been a 10 for the last six years um i mean there's such a thing as not aging well i think it still aged very well and if i had never played tears of the kingdom i would still consider it a 10 out of 10 game but tears of the kingdom is just it's everything breath of the wild is but better (laughs) like it's just the same thing but better I'm reminded a little bit of a conversation I had with Fitzroy. Um, I want to say maybe a week ago. Uh-huh. Um, because uh, recently, as an early birthday gift, I was uh, gifted a copy of Final Fantasy IX for, on Steam, right? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I'd been playing through the first, like, two hours or whatever with my son, um, which I say, like, with my son. Realistically, he's just sitting on my lap and we're reading aloud as the text prompts come up. But that's interesting enough with, you know, the various moving colors and stuff. Right, you're basically reading him a moving bedtime story. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it holds his attention long enough, right? Yeah. Um, so, we're playing through Final Fantasy IX, and I had mentioned that to, to Fitzroy. Um, mm-hmm. And he had, uh, you know, said, oh, well, you know, it's cool. And I was like, yeah, well, it's my favorite game of all time. And he said, mm-hmm. really? Like, not, not even, like, the original Kingdom Hearts or, like, Kingdom Hearts 2? And, mm-hmm. like... I kind of had a similar experience that you're having with Tears of the Kingdom, but in reverse. Where, like, <laughs> where 3 was so frustrating that it's retroactively tainted those games. Ooh, I respect that that take. I disagree with it. Um, <laughs> but I, I totally get it. 3 was not good. It... Oof. Like, I... I don't think the games are bad, right? Like, I don't like. I would never tell you that Kingdom Hearts One or Kingdom Hearts Two are bad games. Not even close. Right, right, right. right. Um, but like the the end of the trilogy just makes it feel wrong to say that they're the best game, or even my favorite. Right. Like my feelings about the the franchise as a whole have changed on a fundamental level, and it's as a direct consequence to how much I I did not enjoy three. I I absolutely respect that. I. Again, I disagree. Um, I think, um, well, the franchise as a whole, I definitely don't enjoy as much. Um, Not necessarily just because of 3, but I definitely, because of some of the recent changes, I enjoy the franchise less than I did when it was, you know, 
one to chain of memories birth by sleep and that was kind of it um but three was not three was really bad like and there are a lot of people who defend it and they're like well you can't just like shit on the developer's work and i'm not trying to they they did a lot of hard work to make that game function and i just i kind of think they shouldn't have (laughs) well like here's the thing right it's like my complaint with three has nothing to do with development i think the game plays really well i have a lot of fun playing the game and i know some people complain about the difficulty uh or lack thereof within the game and i think that's partly due to to like smashing together like three different mechanics that just basically allow you to to you know speed walk through camp uh through uh combat encounters Mm -hmm. but to me the thing that frustrates me the most is that like i just don't think this i don't think the game did justice to the story to this kind of stories that kingdom hearts tells you know yeah like mm-hmm. basically i would say 80 percent of the story air and i'm using story real loosely in this context um i would say like 80 percent of the story from kingdom hearts 3 was like largely ignorable because everything from the opening cutscene to the scene where you have to fight aqua like everything in between those two things you could basically have just skipped entirely and you lose zero context of what's going on Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of my main criticisms too. Um, when I first played it, it's just ninety nine percent of the ninety nine percent of the story, which is one of the main things people care about in Kingdom Hearts, um, is in the last three hours of the game. Yeah, and like that's just not satisfying, right? I think they did a. I think they had a a, a difficult task. I think of trying to tie together more uh disney stuff uh into the story beats where like we had kind of moved past that in a lot of ways like it could have been done but they did a poor job of it and it left the story kind of feeling like there were just a number of just hanging threads that we really didn't need to see um i think that is more on tetsuya namura trying to do more with the series than end the trilogy um he was trying to leave a lot of room for sequels that he wanted to make more than he wanted to make Kingdom Hearts 3. And like with all of the the Virum Rex stuff that is super evident because like he was trying to work on that game instead of finishing Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah. Like straight up he actively was trying to finish that game instead of making Kingdom Hearts 3. And Square was like, no, we need you to make Kingdom Hearts 3. Like, it's... Stop slow rolling it. We need this game made. And you can see that he just did not want to be on Kingdom Hearts anymore. Wait, is Kingdom Hearts 3 the Game of Thrones of the video game world? Yeah, kind of. Except, like... (laughs) He wasn't even, like... I don't know. He wasn't, like, given all of the time in the world to do it he just was forced to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah, it just, it feels like a lot is missing, you know, from the, from the game, right? And I don't mean like in a content um, aspect, like, I think there's an acceptable amount of game to the game, right? But it feels like when you're going through that, like, the story beats feel very disconnected in a way that's a little bit frustrating um, 
not recasting the voice role for Phil, I think, was a huge mistake. Write the character out, then, if you can't re-voice him for whatever reason. Um, I, I realize it's because the original uh, Japanese actor died, so they opted to just give him no dialogue as opposed to recast him out of respect, which, like, I understand that's a that's a cultural thing that they do where they retire characters when the, the actors pass, but... Mm-hmm. If that's the case, like, just don't include the character. Because I think him not talking, especially for Phil, is, like, incredibly distracting. Because he is not a silent mascot character. He is, like, Danny DeVito. (laughs) He's literally Danny DeVito. Um, I think... So, like, that is such a small part of the game that I actually just stopped caring about it after, like, a week. Um... Well, I think it's emblematic, right, of, like, what else is going on, where the, there's just, like, dozens and dozens of little things that just feel off, right? No Final Fantasy character showing up in any capacity is just another yeah. one of those instances, right? Where it's, like, by itself, it's not a huge deal, but it's just, it's another little thing that you notice, right? The the fact that, like, the, the story beats don't connect all that well, in that the stories for each of the individual, uh, you know, worlds are kind of meaningless or don't matter right again just another little thing and it's like that combination of all those little things lead the game to not feeling as much like a kingdom hearts game as it really ought to the gameplay is all there the visually looks you know it's the best looking kingdom hearts game that we have right uh the combat's fun and kinetic in a way that i that like i I genuinely enjoy it's a fun action rpg um i ostensibly care about all of these characters and the story and how it concludes but you know, by the time we get to the final stretch, right, it's just like, oh, come on, let's finally, like, I finally got to something I actually care about. So, like, you say it's a lot of little things, but I think those are actually very big things for this franchise. Like, the story is supposed to feel interconnected by virtue of the bad guys are actively progressing the story through the Disney world, right? Um, they always have, and none of these Disney worlds felt like that. And that's a huge thing for, like, the feel of Kingdom Hearts. Because, like, why are we going to these Disney worlds if there's no bad guys there that are doing things that matter to us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, the first game, they're, they're trying to... Um, Unlock the keyholes, right? Yeah, princesses of heart, etc. <clears throat> They're looking for the princesses, and we're trying to lock the keyholes so that they can't get the princesses. But none of these worlds have anything like that. Like, there's no overarching conflict with the villains in most of the Disney world. And Monsters, Inc. and Big Hero 6 are kind of the exceptions to that, where it mm. feels like they matter to the story, and... I don't think it's a coincidence that those are also the worlds with new stories being told. <clears throat> I mean, it would almost um, have to be, right? Because, like, otherwise you can't really incorporate, you know, the the Kingdom Hearts bad guys in. Whereas, like, the other worlds that you're showing up on, it feels very much like you're you're guesting in a <laughs> in like a um, a one shot that is retelling the story of Rapunzel, right? Yeah, but, like, if you think about Kingdom Hearts 1 and the Aladdin world, we were guesting in Aladdin, we were just retelling Aladdin, 
but we were retelling Aladdin in a way that felt like the Kingdom Hearts parts mattered, right? Right. Frozen didn't feel like Sora mattered in Kingdom Hearts 3, like at all. Sora wasn't really there. And I think that was a big part of the vibe. Like, it didn't matter if Sora was there or not. Everything was going to happen except the final boss. And that's the only part Sora mattered for. Yeah, which, like, a combat instance with a, you know, otherwise uninspired enemy. Like, I mean, I remember that fight was kind of cool and kind of frustrating, but... But, like, also that was the it. only that was the only part of any Frozen section that mattered for us. Because it was the only part that Sora actually firsthand interacted with, right? Yeah, everything um, else was just clearing mobs, and then I think you talked to Larksene at some point? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the Frozen stuff, like the actual stuff from Frozen, happens without Sora. All of it. Um... And the same for the Rapunzel world, and I don't even remember the other worlds in that game. Toy Story. Um, Toy Story oh, Toy Story had a new story, too, and I think Toy Story was actually the best world. And, like, arguably had one of the best lines of dialogue in the entire <laughs> series with Woody absolutely <laughs> roasting Zemnis. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, like... So much that it's its own meme template now. When there's eight worlds and three of them feel like we mattered to the story that's a miss for me and it doesn't feel like kingdom hearts if we don't matter to those disney worlds right mm. and then final fantasy characters have always been a big part of the story that was part of the interconnectedness seeing some of those final fantasy characters in places where they shouldn't be yeah right that was always that, a big that's thing a, it's a big part of the vibe, and the vibe is what makes Kingdom Hearts Kingdom Hearts. Otherwise, it's just a generic Final Fantasy game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of funny that, like, when you think about the way that, like, Kingdom Hearts does its, like, multiverse story, mm -hmm. it, it's kind of interesting to think on how, it, how those stories incorporate multiverses in very different ways, like comparing Kingdom Hearts to you know, other properties that do take, you know, multiverses into account. Something, something Spider-Verse? Yeah, Spider-Verse is certainly one of them. Um, <laughs> I would, you know, certainly that is one of them. But, like, even, like, um, talking about, like, Magic Gathering, the way that it tells its story, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting that, like, I think the stories that are the most captivating are the ones that allow those characters to really kind of breathe and kind of revel in the like in the connectiveness if that makes sense and i think mm -hmm. when we start siloing those worlds and siloing those storylines i think that's the point where it starts to get kind of boring or uninteresting uh, not that you can't exactly. tell like, stories but i think that like if you're gonna have a multiverse take advantage of it you know yeah especially when you know you're seven games deep and the connectedness of your multiverse has been a selling point for the first seven games yeah, 100%. <clears throat> um, I will 100% disagree, by the way, about your uh, your enjoyment of the gameplay. I was... That was not it. <laughs> you didn't have fun with it? No. No. Um, Interesting. What Sora... was missed for you? So, Sora was too floaty. 
Um, I very much like, you know, having a limited amount of control of how he moves in the air instead of just I pick a direction and he floats that way mm-hmm. and there's nothing I can do about it. Because in the previous games, you could control how he fell uh, to an extent and you miss a lot of that control in this game. So you're kind of just like stuck into whatever action and that feels very not Kingdom Heartsy to me. Mm-hmm. Um and it's just because, you know, seven games in, I've controlled basically every character basically the same way, and this one he didn't control quite the same. Interesting. Um it felt very wrong and it actually felt a lot like Final Fantasy fifteen. Um, which I also did not enjoy the gameplay of that game a whole lot, even though people seem to like it. Um, see, I didn't play 15, so I don't have that frame of reference, I guess. <clears throat> and maybe if I had, maybe I would have felt differently about it. Uh, but like, I didn't even notice that I was thinking that until I actually went back and played 15 again so I could finally finish it. I was like, oh, oh, Kingdom Hearts 3 feels like this. Maybe that's why I didn't like it. Interesting, interesting. Because uh, the other thing too, right, is like I've played through. I want to say most of the Kingdom Hearts games. I, I think the only one mm-hmm. that I missed was the one with um, with Sion and and Roxas. Uh, sure. Which like number number title over two is the only thing I can remember. I can't remember the name of the, the of the game, but um, three five eight days over two. Yeah, yeah, that one. I think that's the only one I did not play. Um, I've played all of the other Kingdom Hearts games other than the mobile. MMO, I guess. Um, so, but it had been a little while since I played any of those other games. So maybe my frame of reference for like what a Kingdom Hearts game feels like is a little bit outdated by the time I pick up three. But to me, I I didn't have those same problems. I guess when I was mm-hmm. controlling Sora, because to me, like the combat felt very like yeah, he's definitely in the air a lot more. And I think the game focuses a lot more on, like, Sora's ability to maneuver through 3D space in a way that the other games were a lot more 2D bound. You know, like, bound to a single plane most of the time. Um, So I think that, like, that difference was definitely, like, I observed it, but I guess I didn't really mind it. I, I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. There were other aspects of, of the, the game that I didn't enjoy. Right, as far as like the the world building or the the um the level design, I didn't necessarily like a lot of the level design, but like the combat itself, I found enjoyable enough. Um, and I enjoyed that a lot of the worlds did feel you know pretty large and and sprawling. Um, my my main problem is that a lot of them also felt quite empty, <laughs> which I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, big is good. Big and empty is bad. Yeah, it's just space for space's sake, right? It's not like yeah. when you're playing like Breath of the Wild, where it's like, yeah, there are large expanses where not much is going on, but like it always feels like there's something you could discover, and I think that that's very yeah. different because the world design in the level design in Kingdom Hearts three, it feels very, um, it, it feels very empty, right? Like I specifically remember instances in like the Toy Story level on like the third third level of the of the mall right Mm -hmm. where you have to walk for a solid like i want to say like a minute between like the safe point and the two different um 
storefronts that you have to like go back and forth between a couple different times right mm-hmm. and it's like i just remember that walk just feeling like it took forever right and there's like multiple mobs that would spawn between and it's just like gosh like yeah i mean at least we have the grinding to kind of make some of the transportation a little bit faster and like the game does give you some tools to move around a little bit more quickly but it's just like this is just an empty hallway there's like nothing going on here there's like I don't know, like, that really stuck to me. And, like, even now, like, I remember disliking that section of the game for that reason. So I think it's really funny that you said Toy Story first and not Big Hero 6 and Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) (laughs) You know what's funny is that, like, prior to you mentioning it in this episode, I had forgotten that Big Hero 6 had a section. And the only <laughs> aspect of the of the Pirates of the Caribbean level that I remember is chasing after the Black Pearl on a featureless desert. Um, <clears throat> and, like, I literally cannot remember... Oh, and there was also, I think, the ship minigame. But, like, I literally cannot remember anything else distinct about those levels. Um, so, Pirates of the Caribbean is a very, very large ocean. I think it's the biggest level in the game, right? It right. is huge. Gigantic. And there is almost nothing on the ocean. <laughs> Just some enemies, right? Occasionally. Occasionally. And, like, there's there was one part where I got, like, super, super bored one day. And I decided to glide through the ocean. And nothing happened. Jeez. I literally spent, like, 15 minutes... Just holding circle, and nothing happened. That's wild, <laughs> right? Because like in that game, right? Can't you? Um, you don't like your your glide doesn't terminate, right? Uh, it does, unless you are not on solid ground. So, like, if you stay above, you know, water or whatever, you'll kind of just keep gliding forever interesting i don't remember where like you could get into the water in that game though right you could swim down. oh yeah you can you can choose to just dive into the water but you didn't have to if you were gliding and i think they purposely give you glide after that level the first time mm. but i was you know i was bored so i went back and i was like let's see what happens and so you just supermaned across the, Car- uh, the, the caribbean sea <laughs> yeah it was it was a whole lot of nothing i was so flabbergasted by how there can be that much and nothing happening i guess it's one of those situations where like in order to make it feel to scale you need to have so much nothing because like spoilers there isn't a lot in the ocean in general (laughs) like as far as like stuff on the top of it i will gladly sacrifice feeling to scale for stuff to do in my fantasy video game about invading interdimensional aliens trying to steal the hearts of the entire civilization you know what that's fair (laughs) (laughs) so (sighs) and somehow we're now a kingdom hearts podcast yeah given that we just talked about for the last 20 25 minutes or something (laughs) (laughs) but you know honestly like i've seen that meme fly around quite a bit where it's like kingdom hearts reads like a like a D campaign that got out of hand oh man and like but yeah, a lot of things do 
a lot of things do. Like Guardians of the Galaxy, the 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 fan comic where Guardians of the Galaxy is just the Avengers playing D and D and Bucky's the DM, and every character is made just to frustrate him by another Avenger is hilarious. <laughs> it's like I'm trying to tell a serious story, guys. Mm-hmm. As a DM, I think sometimes you just gotta roll with the punches. Like, you can't choose the players. Like, you can't choose the characters that your players roll up to the table with. Not really, anyways. Um, (laughs) Like, on paper, they might be one thing, but, like, you don't know when you're getting a a fucking rocket raccoon or a Groot at the table. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no way to, like, stop your players from Yeah, or like a Star-Lord who just like does the most ass-backward shit at any given moment. Like just actively makes the situation worse almost every time. Oh, Star-Lord. So anyway, that was my my way of saying that like talking about Kingdom Hearts is kind of like talking about (laughs) D&D. It is. It very much is. I think you can take some lessons from that game, though, and really kind of transport it into the way that you run your games, though. Like, in all seriousness, I do think there are some lessons to be learned there, right? Um, Because the way that the Kingdom Hearts story was written feels very much like a campaign. I think more so than, like, Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy, in that instance, feels like it's a story that has a very distinct, like, middle beginning end. And, like, the story points between the different movies feels very much like... um, like continuations right whereas Mm -hmm. i would say that like a lot of kingdom hearts feels very much like someone laying down the track without knowing where they're going in a way that you only really get from like improvisation right when it comes to like that kind of style of storytelling because i really don't think that namora had very much of a plan when it comes to to any of these games or the overarching story and it feels like that plan really only like solidified in the last maybe three games um yeah yeah that's definitely fair because he definitely did not have a plan beyond the first game when he made the first game i mean how could you right like you don't know that you're getting a second one you're shocked that you even got the first (laughs) just how did we get disney to agree to this what's happening honestly like it's like it's it's a wild story. Like, if you had told someone, you know, a decade before Kingdom Hearts 1 came out, that there would be a, you know, a seven-game or eight-game series where Disney and Squaresoft have collaborated to create a sprawling action RPG where Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are main characters of your story, like, you'd call them a liar. <laughs> like, Not that's... just main characters of your story, they're, like, serious in some cases, tragic characters. Yeah, like, not only would you call him a liar, like, it's it's honestly more believable that Donald Trump would be president if you had told me in 2000, you know, in 2002 that that was oh, what was going to happen. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, Lord. Like, both those things happened, but I wouldn't have questioned the second one. Like, sure, I guess. <laughs> he seems like he's good. It's like, I mean, little would I know. But my point being is that, like, it's so batshit crazy when you when you like look back at like how this game came to be um that like i think that like when you see those memes right of people saying like oh actually you know x thing that you loved as a kid is really dark and edgy because they're actually in a coma or 
oh, so-and-so thing is like if so-and-so was playing a D&D game. Whenever you see those memes, right, a lot of times it just feels like kind of reaching or just absolute bullshit. But when you look at the Kingdom Hearts D&D analogy, I think it really does ring true because of the way that the storytelling is put together um, mm -hmm. in a way that you don't get. And like in the end, you feel like you got like a satisfactory resolution. But when you look back at like the plot points, you're like, wait a minute. A lot of this just doesn't doesn't make very much sense, especially in the context from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, just like the way how it, did we get here? Right. But like the way that it wove it together makes it feel like it's earned somehow. In, a, in mm -hmm. I think, a, an interesting way. Um, up until the point where Sora was able to travel through time and then all of the accounts from the MMO chimed in. But, like, even that feels like, you know, rule of cooling shit, so. Um, I actually really liked the MMO accounts showing up. Um, that was one of the few, I guess, elements from the mobile game that I didn't hate. Um, mostly because my username is one of them. Oh, really? It's in there? <laughs> yeah. Um, that was one of the few things that I was like, this feels like a really, like, here you go, guys. This really is your story, right? You earned it. Yeah. And, like, with the way the mobile game ends, it also feels very thematic that all of those people help Sora do the thing. Mm -hmm. um because the mobile game ends with you become the bad guy like canonically your character whichever one you are becomes xehanort oh interesting yeah you're reincarnated as the bad guy of the franchise nifty yeah so like the meme where like this is kingdom hearts every character is sora or xehanort canonically you are xehanort and also Every Sora. character. <laughs> and also Sora. Um, Who also is Xehanort. <laughs> I'm not trying to have a headache right now. Um, <laughs> um, but that one thing felt very, like, cathartic. To have that be a thing that happened. I forgot what my point was with this. Well, I think tangent. one thing I, I will take from this tangent, though, is that when you're laying the tracks and like when you're DMing, right? You don't always need to know where you're going in order to have a satisfactory resolution at the end. And I think that like Kingdom Hearts really does prove that point. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think really what it, what boils down to, to me at least is being able to tie enough of the early stuff back in, uh, in order to, to make it feel like it's earned. Your story doesn't have to make sense the whole time. If everybody feels like their time wasn't wasted. Yeah, and like a lot of that just boils down to fun, right? Like, yeah. are, you, are you having fun while you're playing this game? And I think the reason that Kingdom Hearts 3 fails so much is because there are huge sections where you're not. <laughs> yep. Um, the only reason you're even half okay with the end of it is because, like, the at least the ending bit, you're having some fun because of all the callbacks. Nostalgia's a hell of a drug. It really is. I mean, it keeps people playing D&D for decades, so... <laughs> so we should know it kept me playing kingdom hearts 3 for like 30 hours yeah and like case in point like i never went back to play that game again whereas like, i haven't even thought about it yeah like i only thought about it in the context of like favorite game ever right <laughs> it's <clears throat> like it's like that like duels of the roses like those are like games you can spend hours and hours and hours on right you go back oh. and you do more stuff 
Duelist of the Roses is so bad. <laughs> it's unironically one of my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh games of all time. I respect that. Um, but that game is not good. I love that game. I absolutely love that game. It is not good. It's just very easy to break, <laughs> unfortunately. Just like Yu-Gi-Oh! in real life. It's accurate. Yeah, yeah, in that respect. I will say that the soundtrack, fantastic, though. Oh, yeah. But, you know. Like, to this day, I still catch myself humming some of those tunes. I expect nothing less of Yu-Gi-Oh, though. Yeah. <laughs> that theme song, that OG theme song, Yu-Gi-Oh! GX. Ugh. Get your game on. I expect Yu-Gi-Oh! music to be good at this point. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> if it's not, something's wrong. If it's not, you're Yu-Gi-Oh! Zexel. I mean, what? Jesus Christ. And you don't want to be a Zexel. No. No, you don't. Well, it's better than whatever the newer ones are. <laughs> Bad? <laughs> After 5D's Yu-Gi-Oh! anime just steadily went downhill. Really? It feels like it nosedived. I think it was steady. I think Zexel had some good stuff happening. Uh, Vrains was... And then whatever the, the current one is, I think it's Yu-Gi-Oh! 7s or something. I, it's just... I mean, props. I haven't watched anything past GX, so... I loved 5Ds. Genuinely, I think 5Ds is unironically one of the best children's anime ever. High praise. Um, Zexel was okay. I watched a good chunk of Zexel and didn't hate all of it. It had some good themes. Arc V was... Uh, Mediocre. It was... It was no 5Ds, I'm gonna say that. I mean, um, it, it feels like if you're comparing it, like... like It's like the bad season after the good season, right? It's like almost no matter what they put out, it wasn't gonna be as good. Yeah. I do think... A lot of what carried ArcV was the nostalgia that they were actively hitting on because there's a lot of um callbacks. A lot of like cameos and callbacks because of the multiversal nature of it. Uh -huh. Um like there are there are literally four or five universes, Arc V, Arc Five, because the fifth anime. Um, and like the five universes are the current one, the Arc Five one, the Five Ds universe, which is not actually Five Ds, but it's like Five Ds ad adjacent. Uh -huh. The Zexel universe, which is Zexel adjacent, the GX universe, which is GX adjacent, and then the original dimension, which is actually the original one. Um, and they took all of the the like gimmick special summons of each one and made them unique to that dimension. <clears throat> so like the five D's universe, they were the only people with synchro summons. Uh huh. Um, the GX one, they were the only ones with fusion summons. The original universe, they didn't have anything special. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Interesting. Um. And there were, like, a lot of cameos, characters that, like, 
they weren't the same person, but they were very clearly the same person. Okay. Um, like, I think... I think the principal or the vice principal from Yu-Gi-Oh! GX was, like, character, and it wasn't the same dude, but it was the same name and, and like, deck, but it was a different character technically. It was a variant. Uh-huh. Wait, um, wasn't the principal's name Crew or something? I don't remember his name. I just remember he played Ancient Gears. <laughs> the vice principal. It was the vice principal for sure. Um... And I think the the Destiny Hero guy was in it. I want to say Robert. the yeah that guy that that's the vice principal. <clears throat> I see. Um, and like, Dual Academy is like heavily featured, but it's not really a school. Uh, it's like a military school instead of a dueling school. And their military is obviously Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm-hmm. So I think the nostalgia carried a lot of that series. I watched maybe three episodes of the one after it, Brains. I I couldn't I couldn't do it. Couldn't make yourself care. Yeah, and then Sevens was even worse because it didn't even have like a fancy gimmick or anything. <laughs> Interesting. Like it didn't even have like a a special. S- like a new special summon thing. It was just here. You're playing Yu-Gi-Oh, but it's smaller. That's wild. But yeah, I expect Yu-Gi-Oh music to be good unless you're Zexel. Speaking of audio, by the way, I just thought you would find it funny that the uh, English voice actor for Crowler <clears throat> is Sean Schimmel. No way. Dead, dead ass. <laughs> That's fucking great. I was not ready to hear those words. You know what else is wild? The mm. Japanese voice actor. Yeah. Only has seven credited roles and five of them are Crowler. Uh, One of his other roles, Mr. Referee from the 1999 TV show. From Metabots? Yes. <laughs> no. Yeah. Is it bad that you said Mr. Referee and I immediately knew what you were talking about? No, I just think that means that we had a very similar childhood. <laughs> um, but yeah, Sean Schimmel, uh, the voice of, uh, of That's Crowley. insane. Goku and the vice principal from Yu-Gi-Oh! GX are the same dude. And probably wouldn't like each other all that much. No, Goku would be like, how dare you cheat at this shitty game? What's wrong with you? <laughs> Goku would have a problem with ethics. <laughs> he might. The problem is that like he, he's not like super quick when it comes to that kind of thing, so I imagine he might not catch on that like cheating is happening. But if he was told that someone was cheating, like he would be very upset about it. <laughs> but that's what happened. Somebody told everyone that they were cheating because I think Cyrus didn't catch on. And the smart kid, I forget his name, was like, oh yeah, he's very obviously cheating here. Was it, um... Not Bosch. I remember he played the the Water Dragon deck. That's all I remember about him. Oh god, I don't remember that. Wasn't Chaz, Um, right? Chaz was like a character. 
yeah, that was that was the rival. He wasn't the quote unquote smart kid. Also, Chaz had the best arc in that series. Bastion. Yeah, that guy. Bastion. I remember he was yellow. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah, he was like, oh yeah, your teacher's cheating. Your friend should be winning, and there's no question about it. And Cyrus is like, wait, he's cheating. How do you know? He's like, what do you mean? How do I know? Can't you? Do you have eyes? It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> wild. <laughs> that is, that is very funny. Oh, so Eric Stewart is the uh, voice actor for for uh, for uh, Bastion there. Eric Stewart. You That's... should definitely know him. He's a very important character in Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, he's Kaiba. Yes, and Brock. FYI. Wait, Kaiba and Brock are the same person? Apparently, at some point. I'm sure mul- I think multiple people have played Brock at this point. So, like, Brock voice. There have been a- there have been two or three because I know I know four kids only had Pokemon up until close to the end of Hoenn and they changed all the voice cast when four kids stopped being the dubbers right so i think eric stewart was the four kids voice for brock that makes sense because Yu-Gi-Oh was also dubbed by four kids oh he also played james good to know huh wait brock and james are the same person uh maybe not at the same time though brock and james are still the same person no, they were, yeah. Brock and James in Pokemon from seasons 1 to 8. Instead of Kaiba and Yu-Gi-Oh. I just pulled up his Wikipedia page, too. <laughs> he was Meta Knight and Kirby right back at you. He's the narrator in One Piece? How is he all these people and I didn't know? And Kuinma in at least one Yu Yu Hakusho project. That's wild. Eric Stewart, man. The GOAT. I wouldn't go that far. He's no uh, Johnny Youngbosch or Yuri Lowenthal. I mean, this is true. Which, like, speaking of Johnny Youngbosch, I am really pleased that they were able to get him back for for uh, both Ichigo as well as uh, as Vash. Kind of wild that, like, <laughs> that, like, both those properties came back. I'm not surprised that he came back for Bleach. I'm honestly a little surprised that he wanted to do Vash again. With how different with how different Trigun Stampede is. Did you watch Stampede? Not No. Okay. It's not as different. Okay. Now that said, it's still like a six out of ten. <laughs> it's not like it's not like peak anime at all. <laughs> Like, and part of that's nostalgia talking. I think original Trigun's very, very good. Stampede is, like, medium. I liked it a lot more, though, once I realized what they were trying to do with it. Um, Mm -hmm. Which isn't necessarily obvious from the first, like, six episodes. Um, Once you get, like, seven episodes in or eight episodes in, you start to clock, like, oh, this is, like, a retelling but reordering some of the main story events. And it's, like... Oh, okay, that makes sense. Now I see what you're doing. 
And the reason I don't like the way that you're like, the reason like I didn't like the way they handled Meryl at first was because I didn't clock that they were doing an origin story for her <laughs> at mm. the same time. Okay. And like, so like, I... mm -hmm. I'll probably think it's better than a six out of 10 because I've seen the first two episodes. And I was like, this is pretty good. Yeah, the first two episodes are, like, pretty good. Do you care if I spoil it? No, not okay. at all. Uh, audience, I'm going to spoil Trigun Stampede. Um, you're, you're sorry. And I am I am welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're just going to leave that in. Um, so, so Trigun Stampede tells the story of when Vash blew up July. Like, that's the mm -hmm. final, like, episode, is him and Knives fighting in July, and, and Vash blows it up. Oh, so it ends with the things before the series starts. <laughs> yes. But the events okay. of July are very different than the events of July we received in the flashback during the original series. Um, okay. Additionally, <clears throat> the uh, older reporter fella that Meryl is traveling with, he ends up biting mm -hmm. the dust and gives her his Darrington? Which is where okay. she gets the Darrington. And at the end of the series, she is basically transferred to the insurance branch of the same company, if I understand right. And she is on her way to go to go meet Millie for the first time as her new recruit. Because now she's the bitter vet. Okay. So, like... I, I guess. Yeah, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, this is fine. Um, also, like, Vash's hairstyle during the final fight was... Uh, was the actual like original hairstyle so so that was nice um, i don't i don't hate that there's still a lot of things i have my misgivings about it's very clearly going to be a very different story um the end of stampede ends with a signal being sent to earth and someone apparently receiving it so mm -hmm. we're going to get more people from earth which is not something that happened in the original um and i still don't like that knives has all of these like supernatural dr octopus-esque power sets um <laughs> that still weirds me out and like the flying and everything like i, I kind of really like the um the simplicity of like what the final fight was originally with knives mm -hmm. and Bash. like the um the understated nature of it where it's right. like it's not that these are like like, these are definitely superhuman characters, but they're superhuman in, like, their reflexes and precision. And not really in, in, in like, endurance, I suppose, but not really any other aspects. So, like... They're they not can... they're not using superpowers to fight the fight. They just happen to be superpowered, and they're not... They're doing normal things. Yeah, but, like, <clears throat> incredibly precisely, right? So, mm -hmm. so, like, you know, one of my favorite scenes of the entirety of the... Uh, of that scene well one of my many favorite scenes but one of the scenes that like come that uh comes out is like when they both draw a gun into each other's face or whatever they both reach over open up each other's guns like knock each other away each of them both oh. grab a single bullet from the air to load the from the other person's uh weapon and then load oh. their own butt own gun and then end up in the same position again right so good such a good sequence and <laughs> honestly like you don't get that with with stampede and you're not going to because that's not the kind of story it is anymore that's mildly disappointing 
Yeah. I will say that, like, Vash in this version of the story is, like, way more adept at hand-to-hand combat. And, mm-hmm. in fact, like, he uses his gun more like a... Like a... Uh... A bludgeon. Yeah, like a bludgeon. Specifically, like, a Tonfa stick. I think it's called. Hmm. Like, more than anything else. Like, straight up, like, holds it, like, reverse grip most of the time. Oh, no, they turned Vash the Stampede into Death the Kid. Uh, more like into Nightwing. Death the Kid. <laughs> It's a gun in a reverse grip. That's Death the Kid if I've ever seen it. <laughs> I mean, his pinky's not on the trigger, at least. It's something. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, it's fine. Will I watch it again? Probably. But I think, like, one of the most damning things that I can say about the series and why I wasn't, like, super tr- uh, thrilled watching it was mm. that I got to, like, episode 7 or whatever out of 12, and I just didn't watch it for, like, four weeks. And, like, I didn't care to know what happened next. Like, the show was kind of boring at times in a way that I don't think the original was. The original, like, was very intriguing. There was a mystery element. And, like, here they kind of, like, front load mm. a bunch of the mystery stuff. So there isn't really much keeping you going to the next episode. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like... Obviously, like, this, the anime season that it was in had a lot of competition anyways. But to me, it's, like, that's a pretty big indictment. Because, like, for shows that I enjoy, I tend to watch them week to week anyways. And for me right. to, like, just go four weeks and it's like, oh, do you want to watch Try Again? Eh, I'm good. I'll, I'll watch it at some point. You know, and then I eventually binge through the rest of it because it had finished. But, like, I think to me, like, that says more about it in my mind. Like, if I was unsure how I felt about it, the fact that I could go several weeks and just not even remember that I was supposed to care to watch it, I think is a pretty big indication that it kind of left a lot to be desired to me. Yeah, I just... If I'm watching something week to week and I go, mm, do I need to? Halfway through the season, I think that that's a problem. Yeah, 100%. <clears throat> right? And the thing is, too, is like, again, like, anime season the anime this year and last year have been like pretty stacked mm-hmm. you know and especially like when you're comparing it to like other contemporary shows right you know it's like yeah trigun's cool and all but also like villain saga has released 20 episodes that have been 10 out of 10 each like legit peak every episode so like i don't know what you're supposed to do about that <laughs> I will take your word for it. I have not seen any of Vinland Saga yet. It's on my list, but I haven't started it. Um, so, like, again, like, kind of feeding into recency bias, right? Um, I'm trying to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. I think that this season of Vinland Saga is, in my opinion, some of the strongest character writing I've seen in anime. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's... It's easily the best show that's on right now, and probably should be, like, anime of the year, in my opinion. Ooh, but, like, Blue Lock came out this year. So, I didn't watch Blue Lock, because I don't like sports anime. I normally don't either, but Haikyuu and Blue Lock have kind of... They've kind of got me. I'm not gonna watch it. Disappointed in you. I... You were disappointed (laughs) in me already. It's not new. Um, uh, but Villain's great. Um, 
It's a great show. Uh, probably one of my favorites. Um, you know, kind of having an idea on where the story's going. I haven't decided if I'm going to read the manga yet. Um, I know the manga's still ongoing, so that's part of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's just, it's a fantastic show. Fantastic writing. Uh, love the main character, watching his journey um, from, you know, this war-entrenched, you know, revenge-obsessed character into someone who's, like, trying to move past that is just fascinating, truthfully. And, like... That's sick. Watching the parallels of, like, his journey to moving past that and the parallel of, of um, Canute and his journey into becoming more warlike after starting off as super timid and watching those character arcs kind of swing in opposite directions has been absolutely mm-hmm. fascinating. Okay. That uh, sounds pretty sick. <laughs> it really is. Um, there's a um, there's a scene like very early on. I want to say it's like episode two or three or whatever, um, mm-hmm. where like uh, Thorfinn's father, <laughs> uh, Thor's, he is mm-hmm. he's been like conscripted to go to war or more or less bribed, uh, blackmailed really, uh, to to go to war. Uh, Mm -hmm. for the Young's Vikings. And Torfinn at this time is like five. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he goes to, he finds like, you know, his father's dagger in in the chest or whatever. And, you know, Tor's asked like, what are you going to do with that? And, you know, being a five-year-old, he's like, I'm going to go kill our enemies. And, And Tor says to him, no one has any enemies. You have no enemies no one has any enemies and it's like that's like the that's the whole point of the show is like Thorfinn trying to learn that lesson right because obviously he's five it doesn't believe him um, mm-hmm. and it's like him trying to learn that lesson that his father tried to teach him early on which is that like there's no need to fight there's no need for conflict here like war is dumb killing people is stupid why would you do that right and so watching like his journey from being this person who's so obsessed with with uh, like war and violence and turning into this person who's not anymore and it, it's been it's really fascinating um, I'm not sure how much of it you know so I don't want to like spoil too much of it <laughs> literally makes... nothing cool so that's about all I'm going to say um, but in my opinion it's like the best revenge story I've ever watched so that's, yeah, that's a look forward to wild the best revenge story you've ever watched that's crazy yeah because you've you've seen some good ones i have seen some good ones like code geos is a revenge story very technically Mm -hmm. very good one not technically very explicitly very explicitly (laughs) revenge against the entirety of a nation um mostly against his dad yeah but this is better a better revenge story. I'm not saying I'm not making a value judgment that it's better than Code Geass as far as like the quality of the show is concerned. Although I, I do don't like, believe you, I like it more than Code Geass, right? But uh-huh. like, this isn't me trying to dissuade you for, to dislike your favorite anime of all time, right? I want to be very clear here. <laughs> to be um, fair, Code Geass is not unequivocally my favorite anime. To be fair, yeah, and I think that like some aspects of it didn't age all that well, um, particularly the pacing. Mostly the pacing, actually. <laughs> it is strictly the pacing, actually. There's like a number of episodes you could straight just cut from the series, and you wouldn't know if I didn't tell you. Yeah. Well, I would know. 
you would know but like if i like if i were to show somebody the the series i could probably cut a solid five episodes from the runtime and i don't think that like a new watcher would notice that's a whole 10 percent of the show <laughs> yeah like i think any more than that you would start to notice because some of the episodes do pick up where they left off but i think there's a number of them you could probably cut and you wouldn't you wouldn't miss very much honestly there's probably quite a few more honestly because like the three movies are only a total of i think four and a half hours maybe five hours that's significantly less than the series and you don't miss out on a whole lot if you only watch the movie yeah like what do you realistically miss out on uh chasing arthur around and like table coon oh not table coon (laughs) table did not deserve that that Um, table deserved better (laughs) it really did did not consent to this oh but I, i think that like vinland does a better job like certainly in the pacing department um, it, it's a better series, and I think that like it benefits from like a slightly more modern sensibility when it comes to pacing, and like mm-hmm. the way that it was released. So like that's part of it, and that's not really fair to hold against Code Geass. Um, but what I think it does is I think that the message that it sends about revenge and about its overarching themes, I think, is a lot more cogent, and I think um, ties a lot better with like everything else that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. This is a series about about revenge but it is not a series that glorifies revenge like it is very much an anti-war story even though it is a revenge story aren't most of them because code Geass is also explicitly an anti-war story and the point was also that war was war and revenge were bad things war and revenge were bad things but lelouch was glorified for doing them no, he was demonized for doing the revenge parts. He was glorified for stopping the wars at the end. Right, but I guess my point is that, like, from the perspective of the audience, he is he's more or less praised for... <clears throat> I'd say that, like, from the perspective of the viewer, right, Lelouch does horrible things, but he's not... And, like, in the context of the universe, he's held responsible and kind of demonized. But I think as a viewer, you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, kill those bastards, right? Whereas Vinland Saga is the opposite of that, where, like, even in instances where violence is utilized, it's never glorified or never shown to be, like, morally correct. Whereas I think in the instances of, like, Lelouch, the horrible things that he does are almost justified to the audience because he's doing them to to objectively worse people. So, like, I have a very different perspective Maybe it's just me. It's very possible that it's just But every time I see Lelouch doing a bad thing, like the objectively bad thing, um, like particularly like the first really bad thing he does. Um, spoilers when for he, us. <laughs> spoilers for an 18-year-old anime. Um, when he sets off that mini-nuke, on the mountain and a whole bunch of like innocent people die. I think that's the first time he does something like truly bad, not just like off screen. It's violence in a, in war times. Like this is the first like real bad thing he does. I mean, he killed his brother at that point. 
off-screen wartime also we're not supposed to like that he did that <laughs> right, like we're like, it, it we're explicitly told yeah but who cares what bothers him it's supposed to bother us um i think that's a thing like a lot of the things he does we are supposed to be like this is very questionable and i think they try to make it so that you think that while he's doing them um and very few of the things he does where people explicitly die are meant to be celebrated from the audience perspective so i think the other things though that he does do that are like pretty evil is his pretty regular um erasure of people's um ability to free will yeah like erasure of free will and i think that's something that like the show often kind of like they do touch on it obviously like they they don't completely ignore it but there are a lot of instances where he completely erases people's free will and removes their ability to consent to things that are happening to them and oftentimes those are treated as as horrible but a lot of times too they're treated as like justifiable in, in in some respects for the greater good and i think that that's like a very big difference in the way in like the tone of those two series that when i'm contrasting the two in my mind right that's fair whereas like you look at the bad things that like thorfinn does in the pursuit of his revenge and even though he's doing them they're never really treated as like great acceptable yeah they're not really treated as acceptable the people that he's around may treat it as acceptable but as the audience member you're always kind of watching this and just kind of sad about it you know like you're sad that this is what's happening to him okay right yeah that makes sense because like you grow up with this kid and you saw him as like this you know bright-eyed child that has now been completely subsumed by this burning need to exact revenge and how it's just kind of like slowly killed him inside and then to watch season two begin and to watch him kind of try and move past that that trauma basically and really become a better person okay i see the i see how that might be different yeah also like to be clear this revenge story is just the first season like you know like by season two we're moving past this aspect of the story oh so (laughs) you know that is important to know right that like that arc is it's not like completely completely done but like the main like revenge bits are done by that point mm-hmm. so like you kind of have like a, an end point and that's when it becomes a it becomes apparent that like oh this is a story that it is about revenge but it's about a lot more than that right so it's a revenge story but not really a revenge story it's an anti-war story told through the lens of a revenge story or i guess really it's more like a um an anti-war story told through the lens of thorfinn's life which whose early years are defined by a burning need to exact revenge me too fair (laughs) well speaking of burning needs um i think that's about about gonna do it for the episode um because honestly i have to like finish packing so um, Mm -hmm. so with that everyone thanks again for for joining us on another episode on this uh you know fantastic episode 50 super stoked for it um 
As always, you can catch new episodes um, every other week. Uh, we're releasing them, in theory. <laughs> if you're listening, to hopefully, this, if you're listening to this, things have gone as planned. Um, you can catch us on Twitter at TIAFA Podcast, um, as well as most places, most social medias. Uh, you can catch me at Vlad Beaver. Marvin is at Taiyugetsu. So, uh, without further ado, uh, go check out some anime. Uh, Villain Saga is a super big recommendation. And. Have a good one, everybody.